So today is week two of our fall sermon series on worship that we're calling Heaven on Earth, How Worship Changes Everything. And my task today is to teach us and then show us how worship, it's got to be rooted in God's word, in the scriptures, in the Holy Bible. Uh, worship must, the foundation of our worship has to come from his word. Uh, Bob Coughlin, he's one of the, my favorite worship leaders around the country and authors. He, he puts it this way, and so I want to steal his words here. He says, we can't worship God apart from his word. It defines, directs, and inspires our worship. Knowing God through his word enables us to receive what we need to worship him. So simply for today's message, in my time up here, we're going to read a chapter of the Bible. We're going to root ourselves in what the truth is that that chapter of the Bible tells us. And then we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to use that truth and that word to inspire and shape how we respond to God in worship. And that text for today is literally my favorite chapter in the whole scriptures, Revelation 4. So we're going to look at this beautiful word, see what it reveals to us about who God is, and then we're going to ask that the Lord use that text to shape how we actually worship. But before we jump into reading that text, we have some business at hand. The book is Revelation. There is no S, it's not Revelations. Okay? I know you all want to say Revelations. Repeat after me, Revelation. Look at your neighbor deep in the eye and say, there is no S. <laughs> oh. Sometimes I want to, you know, oh, there's no S. It drives me crazy. My biggest pet peeve. Now that we have the important stuff out of the way. You're all questioning whether I'm right right now, aren't you? Are you sure there's no S? You're like opening your app. Oh, it's revelation. There's no S. There's no S. Revelation chapter 4. See this? See this down here? No S. Let's read God's word together. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From, whoop, what happened? Yep, backwards. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes, in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes, all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John. This is the John that's part of the 12. This is the John that wrote the Gospel of John. And he gets taken up into a vision by the Holy Spirit when he was exiled to an island. He was a prisoner. And on this island he gets taken up into a vision. And early on in his experience he's told to come up through a door that is wide open in heaven and to see what's happening there. And as he walks through he finds himself in the middle of a throne room in heaven itself And he sees a throne in the center with one seated on it who we know to be Jesus Christ himself. In some verses 3 through 11 that we just read, we are shown in great detail what the throne room of God actually looks like and what is happening there. Some people around the the Christian world have been taught that Revelation is just a bunch of symbolism and we need to figure out what these clues are. But I'm not going to get into it here, but that's just not what the point of the book is. And so we're going to take him at his word of what he sees here in the throne room with precious stones, a sea of crystal. He talks about other elders with golden crowns, placing them down. There's lightning, thunder, all this extravagant stuff happening in the throne room. And this chapter is extremely helpful for us to root ourselves in the word and then to allow it to shape our worship. Because something that you and I desperately and consistently need to be reminded of is how holy God is. If this scene doesn't bring you some sort of awe and thinking, wow, I am a small being and he is a holy God, I don't know what to tell you. God is holy beyond comprehension. In scripture, when we see three-part repetition, that means it's the greatest emphasis that the author could come up with or the speaker could come up with or say. And the creatures are praising Jesus right now and saying, holy, holy, holy. Emphasis beyond that the words can actually say. So how does this shape our worship? The fact that God is this holy. Well, firstly, we need to define worship. And this is my definition or the one that I enjoy the most. Worship is giving God ultimate worth in response to his word through activity and lifestyle. Worship is giving God the ultimate worth in response rooted in his word both in activity and in lifestyle. So saying, God, you are the most worthy, you are ultimate, you are precious, you are the greatest, you are the center of everything. It is about giving him all of our affection and praise. And it is both done in particular specific deeds, but it is also in how you live your life and the reason and purpose for for why you do what you do. So this definition is what's going to shape my message today from Revelation 4, how the holiness of God shapes our worship activity and then how the holy, holiness of God shapes our worship lifestyle. So that first heading, the holiness of God shaping our worship activity. So we'll read verse 2 again. It says this, At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on it. That's Jesus. The throne is important, and it's in the center, and it's important to us not because it's a chair. It's about who's sitting on it. Air Force One would not matter as a plane if it didn't hold the President of the United States. It's just a bunch of metal. And in this case, the throne is important because Jesus is seated on it and it grabs all of the attention. Everything, 
every single detail that John describes in this vision is about Jesus on the throne. And he could not have written this in a more emphatic and clear way. Like, maybe you you missed it as I was reading, but here, let me show you how obvious this is. Verse 3, around the throne was a rainbow. Four, around the throne were 24 thrones. Verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire. Verse 6, before the throne there were, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, he could have just said him, but he says, him who is seated on the throne. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns down before the throne. We get the picture at this point, right? Everything about this worship happening in heaven right now revolves around Jesus. The splendor, the majesty, lightning, thunder, the fires, the sea of crystal that's like glass, the rainbow, the creatures, all the elders around the throne giving praise. They exist to worship Jesus because he is the purpose of it all. He is the reason why worship exists. So the holiness of God to shape our worship activity by centering it all on Jesus Christ who is seated on the throne. This is my first point. And we all need to be reminded of this. You know why? Because you, me, we are experts. We are experts of making it about us. We're really good at that. This text could not more emphatically show that every little thing from a jewel to a creature with wings and eyes all around it, it's all about Jesus. But we're good at making it about us. Later this fall, there's this pretty epic thing that's going to happen in Boston. So I drive down 93 a lot, and so I see these big billboards, and I pass the stadium, the TD Garden, and the other day I was driving, and on the side, on the big, big billboard of the biggest stadium in Boston was this. Crazy. There is a concert that's happening with Hillsong, Evelation Worship, and Casting Crowns, a joint concert in our largest venue in the city of Boston. And I bet many of you are excited, many of you are going to go, and and it meets everybody, because all the young people is this side, and then all the old people is this side, so it's all ages, it works for everybody. Young people, you're like, what is a casting crowns? Old people, where are you at? You know, casting crowns made you cry at like seven retreats when you were younger, as soon as you heard, who am I that the Lord of all the earth, I'm a flower, right? Young people don't even know what I'm talking about. You feel me, old people? It's, like, it's the most emotional writers of all time. And, and this, this, when I saw this, I, I, I got really excited um, in, for a very particular reason. So a little bit more about me. I grew up here in Boston. I was born and raised. I was born in Lowell General Hospital, 40 minutes from here. I've never left. And, and New England has always been known as this, like, dark wasteland of spirituality. And, and, and part of the, I mean, I guess somewhat that's true, but... When I was a kid and I was growing up listening to Christian music and getting into the CDs, I was so excited, always looking at the tours, and they never came here. 
because they can't fill out seats. It was just the reality. We have small churches. There aren't many Christians compared to like Texas or Alabama or, or, or Georgia. And so sometimes they would come up north. Maybe they'd go to Chicago or New York, and we would have to drive there. But they never came up to Boston. And so if you were to talk to high school Danny, middle school Danny, and say, there's going to be a three thing, and they're going to be in the garden, I'd be like, are you kidding me? There's going to be ten people at that concert. Maybe, maybe there would be a Christian concert at, like, House of Blues, maybe. But TD Garden? No way. So part of me is so excited because when I saw this, I was like, man, God changed New England. We are filling out a, the, the biggest venue. And these bands are actually like, yeah, we should add Boston to the tour. So that's one part of me. It's super duper excited. I'm not going to go, but I'm still, I mean, if you go, I'm excited for you. It's, a, it's too expensive. It's not, not too old. But here's the other feeling. A part of me, I have to be honest with you, I'm a little cynical. Because a question that's kind of heavy lingers on my soul. Who's selling out the tickets? Is it Jesus or is it them? Who's going to be the central figure of the evening? Is it Joel Houston and his manly beard? Or is it Jesus? Now, listen, what I'm not saying is that there isn't any room for excellence and and. And, and big names in the Christian world. I go to conferences that are really big, and I have preachers that fill out stadiums that I love. Billy Graham filled out, like, gazillions of people. And, and, and it is a good thing to attend this if you go. It's more about where your heart is at. So let me tell you about me. When I was growing up, Hillsong was around, but they, you know, but the elevation wasn't there. Casting Crowns was there, too. But even when I was a kid, I was like, yo, you're kind of lame. Uh, my guy, the coolest guy in the world when I was growing up, if some of you feel me, was this dude right here. <laughs> He's not a homeless man. He's a, he's a musician. His name is David Crowder. And, and he would go on tours. And then there were a few times where he came to Boston when I was a kid. And so I got tickets. I went to the show. And this was before Twitter and Instagram. So, like, there was just these rumblings of, like, oh, we're going to do really cool things on this tour. And I'm like, ooh, what's going to happen? And there was no spoilers from Twitter. And so I get to the show. And he's, you know, so engaging. And he's funny. His band are just, like, amazing musicians. And they, they, they added, there's a DJ and a violinist and a rock band. And they were so, like, revolutionary. And so we're enjoying the show, having a good time. I'm like towards the front because I went there early. And then it was so epic. He brought out a Guitar Hero guitar. Look at this. His drummer, who was a formerly an engineer before he joined the band, I don't know what he did. He moved chords and blah, 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 and turned it into an actual instrument. So the buttons would actually be one, four, five, you know, minor six, and he would, and he would play it in the show. And so I get home, it was so funny, and all my youth group friends were like, oh, I'm so jealous, I didn't get to go to David Crowder. And I'm like, what happened? Like, did you like him? He's like, oh my God, he's so funny, they played this song, and it's like, he's the best, and guys, get this, he brought out a Guitar Hero controller, and he played in the song, and I would explain all the things, and I could have, I could have had a hundred conversations and never once talked about God. I, all I'm talking about is David Crowder. All I'm talking about is the stupid Guitar Hero guitar thing and how it was such a novelty to be at a show. I think that I would leave this concert a bigger fan of David Crowder than a bigger fan or more in love with Jesus Christ. That's my confession to you. 
See, and this, is, this kind of stuff happens to us in our worship activity when we're not enthralled with the holiness of God. See, many of you are searching for a church right now. You're new here. Or you've searched for a church in the past and you've been here for a while, but you still have things that you wrestle with. And inevitably, inevitably, all of us to a certain extent are going to judge our experience based upon how we felt. Did I like the music? Was the sermon any good? How was the welcoming team? Was I comfortable or was it too awkward? How was the size? Was it too small, too big? And none of these things in itself are bad to think of in the way that attending a, a huge concert is not a bad thing. But it is unhealthy when you are the center of the success of that story. Do you ever leave a church service? Church hoppers, I know there's a lot of you here right now. Are you going to leave this service and think, did they make much of Jesus? What did Jesus think of that service? When you hop in the next place you go to next Sunday, if you're only here for one week, are you going to judge Cornerstone and then the next church that you go to based upon how we made you feel or based upon how well that church glorifies God? What's going to be our measure in this whole experience? We often act like the service is about us. It's not. The reason why, and let me tell you about us, old and newcomers. The reason why we choose the songs that we do, the reason why we preach what we do, the reason why we have the activities that we do is because we are a church committed to making much of Jesus Christ. And so let me ask you this now, and even myself, I need to look in the mirror often. Why are you participating in worship today? Why did you come? Who's the central figure? Who's most important? See, the holiness of God to shape our worship activities by centering it all in Jesus Christ, who's seated on the throne. Secondly, the second header is holiness of God shaping our lifestyles, right? Worship is about giving God all the worth and glory and majesty rooted in his word, in our activities, and then also our lifestyle. So starting in verse 6, John describes the throne. He did a good job about that. And then the four creatures around it, one that's like a lion, one like an ox, one like a man, one like an eagle. And in verse 8, he says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes, all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So in this verse, as you can see, John established that the creatures are doing this constantly and forever, right? He says, day and night, they never cease. So we've established that. So let's follow this logic. Verse 9, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before whom, him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns down before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So, it's just, it's just logic. If the creatures never stop, and then the, uh, the elders praise when the creatures do, that means no one's stopping, right? This means both the creatures and the elders in heaven, day and night, never cease to worship. It is constant. Day and night for eternity in this throne room scene is the praise of Jesus Christ. It's not just something for a specific time and place. It is for eternity. I'd like to take a poll and just see how long 
or how, how much participation we have in this. Raise your hand and then keep it up if you've ever tried a specialty diet, not such as, but not limited to keto, Whole30, paleo, Atkins, intermittent fasting, maybe no sugar, no processed food, no Wendy, something like that. Raise your hand and keep it up if you've ever tried. And we're going to see who lasted the longest. Nice and high. If you lasted 30 days or longer, keep your hand up. <laughs> we, we saw that. Two months or longer, keep your hand up. Three months? Half a year? Oh, does that go everywhere? Oh, we have one here. Seven months? Eight months? Nine, 10, 11, 12? 13, 14, 15? Okay, we have a winner. So most of us, some of us went away at 30 days. I'm looking over here, somewhere right here. Uh, <laughs> as you can see, the majority of us, we put our hands down pretty early. Why is that? The reason is because a lot of these diets become more of like a time-bound activity as opposed to becoming a lifestyle. I assume the reason why we lasted a little bit longer is because you didn't set out to just like do a challenge. So for those of you 30 days, you should still do that. That's great. Like you put your hand down, fine. But these things are most effective when you say, no, this is just the way that I'm going to live. It's... The reason why we put our hands down is because it's a temporary choice for a bound season, not a, I'm going to live whole 30, or I'm going to become a keto-following person for the rest of my life. It's temporary change, not lifestyle transformation. See, this is something that Christians, we need to understand when we think about worship. And I think it's precisely because we don't have this dual part definition, the activities we're good at. All of us, whoop, check, we got it. But the lifestyle part is where we often forget or disregard, which is why when I say, hey, we're going to have a, a, a worship service, or we're going to worship, or we're going to have a sermon series on worship, all of us start thinking about songs. Or maybe if I were to challenge you, like, hey, like, have you been worshiping enough in your life day to day? Most of us are starting to think about reading our Bible, QT, prayer. These things certainly are worship, by the way. But the, the thing is, is when we narrow it down to just these things, what we do is we minimize worship tremendously, and then we ignore the fact that it's not a temporary time and space thing. It is a lifestyle. Worship is so much more than just singing songs. It's so much more than just following a devotional book every morning or evening before you go to bed or before you take a shower. Worship is about your entire life. How come when we say worship, you'll hear Sunday? How many of us hear Monday? Oh, not Mondays. How come when I say worship, we don't hear chores? Raising our children, going to school. I think it's because we kind of ignore the lifestyle part of the definition and we just think about the activities. See, a worshipful lifestyle is one that displays Jesus is seated on the throne of your life and with your entire life. You join the elders and the creatures in heaven and the angels and you bow down before him. And this is certainly not just that Sunday church. It's not just that small group. It's rejoicing every night. Rejoicing in God in times of leisure and fun when you're resting. Giving thanks for every single time you eat a meal. Praising God with the integrity of, your, of how you work or how hard you study. Worshiping God by loving your neighbors. Being kind to even people who are enemies of yours. Praying, as Jesus asked us, to, for those who persecute us. Even sleep is worship. 
Your lifestyle becomes worshipful when giving Jesus greatest worth becomes the purpose and the reason for your life. Why you do the things you do. And so my second point rooted in God's word is that. The holiness of God should shape our worship lifestyle by making the purpose of everything we do about the glory of Jesus. So in response, I want us to ask us all to behold God's holiness, to be rooted in it. And then in application, I'd like to challenge you to do simply this, to keep Jesus at the center of everything you do, both in activity and in lifestyle. When you think of worship activities, you're probably with me. We think prayer, church attendance, serving, volunteering, small group, giving, tithing, offering. Don't do this for people. Don't go because you signed up. Don't do it because it's the right thing to do. Don't do it because you're going to get something out of that. Do it because Jesus is deserving of your praise. The next time you go to a ministry meeting, next time you're on schedule to serve, next time you show up to a small group in the middle of the week, next Sunday when you come back and you walk through our doors, Next time you're in your room and you pick up your Bible or you pray. Next time you tithe or donate to a charity or to a church. Do it for Jesus. Don't do it for us. Don't do it for yourself or for anybody else. And in your daily living, our lifestyles, remember to see it all as worship unto God. And you're commuting to work in your mealtimes, doing chores, in your offices or in your classrooms or your dormitories, in your studying and attending class and interacting with others, in your private times when you're alone. Do these things with excellence, with integrity, with love, because Jesus is the reason why you live your life. This is what happens when we worship. This is heaven on earth. You know, the only, like the one thing that we can say for sure, we don't know that much about heaven, But what we know for sure that is guaranteed is that what we're doing right now, worship, that's what we're going to do in heaven. How that will look, you know, there's, there's debates. But what you're doing right now in worship here on earth, while imperfect, gives you pangs of what your life will be like when you are glorified and living in perfection and the greatest joy. You ever feel so... It's like something in your soul starts swelling within you. When we were just singing that song, Worthy as a Lamb, where do you think that song came from? Do you feel something? Do you ever get really moved by, the God, by God's word or by a song that doesn't touch you in the way that other things do? It's because you were created to do that. And that's a taste of what you will do in eternity. And the way that you know that it is authentic and pure and good is when you yourself start to disappear and Jesus is right at the center of it all. You see, Jesus is not just the object of our praise, but he's also our perfect example. He did the perfect worship and activity and in lifestyle, didn't he? He was so committed to the Heavenly Father. When it comes to that quote-unquote activity stuff, He made God the center of it all. He prayed, and he prayed about God's glory. When he ministered to others and healed the sick, he pointed them to the Father. He said, glorify the Father. He would ask others to give thanks to the Father. 
when he, when he ministered with his disciples, he trained them in the word of God. And yet he also had the lifestyle. He would just retreat away from people and go alone in solitude. He worked. He interacted with family and friends. And of course, we see how strong his commitment was when the father asks him to give up his life on the cross. And he says, not my will, but yours. And God is most glorified in his son's perfect obedience as God is most glorified through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. And it's because of him that we we have life. And it's because of him that we are here. It's because Jesus was so perfectly worshipful that you and I even have an opportunity to receive the grace and and have relationship with God. Because Jesus worshipped perfectly, you and I can. So let's follow in his footsteps. Let us commit both in activity and in lifestyle to worshiping God. And friends, let's remember today, but all the time, that Jesus is the center of it all. It's all about him. So let's pray now, and let's make much of him as we pray. Jesus, we know that right now, right as we speak, this scene is happening up in heaven. There is thunder and lightning and and, and creatures and and elders. Later on Revelation, we see that there are a myriad, I love that word choice, a myriad of people just praising you. And we want to join them. While we are here on earth, we want to join with the heavens in giving the praise to the Lamb who was slain. And God, we want to do so with genuine and pure hearts, not about us, not about any other purpose, but for you here right now as we pray, as we sing a couple songs, as we interact with each other before we leave. And then, and then the rest of our week, whatever it is that we do in our schools, in our workplaces, in our conversations, in our mealtimes, in every part of our lives, we want to put you at the center and, 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 and honor and glorify you and give you greatest worth in all those things. We ask for forgiveness for how easy it is, Lord God, for us to put ourselves on the throne. And we thank you for your grace and for your gentleness that humbly brings us back and reminds us that our greatest life is not when we are made much of, but when you are. So take great delight in our church. Take delight in this service right now and all the future ones. Take great delight in every single child of yours in this room. Will we make much of you? Will we give you greatest worth today and for the entire time that you give us breath here on this earth? We love you, Jesus. It's all about you. We pray in your precious name.